Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Rowing Chat. I'm Rebecca Caro and Rowing Chat is the podcast network for rowing. If you've ever fancied being a podcaster yourself or thought that it would be interesting to hear a different voice in rowing, that's what we're here for. We've launched up to eight podcasts. Five are now independently running on their own off of the network. And this is the Anchor podcast in the whole network. Rowing Chat is an interview format podcast that has been running since 2013. I host it and I have a very diverse range of guests who come and tell me about their interest in the sport and their particular corner of the rowing world. You can follow us on rowing.chat. There's a subscribe button there which will give you once a week an email where you receive links to all the podcasts published in the past seven days. Or you can find us on all of the popular podcast apps and platforms. So if you think of somebody who might be a good interviewee for me, just send me a message through the website. Now, our sponsors are the Rowing Directory. Ever wondered where you can find the best possible rowing gift or whether there's a local agent for a popular rowing product in your country or region? This is where you go. Go to rowing.chat and click on directory in the menu. We have new listings this month from Pontoon, who do custom crew uniforms. They have a design tool where you can upload your club colours and logo. Rantilla Rowing, who provide forward-facing sculling boats to a patented design. Rowing Vinyl makes self-adhesive numbers and printed graphics like logos to go on boats and oars. Pine Art Boatworks provide moderately priced boats with the speed and the feel of elite boats. Nelson Kellerman make rowing electronics for Cox amplification, speed measurement and force curves. G-Clip Row make custom quick release shoes for rowing boats. Rose and All is the rowing data analysis website. And Rowing Solutions make an electric coaching boat in a catamaran design. Please go to rowing.chat and click on menu in the, uh, sorry, on directory in the menu, and you'll find them all there. All listed, there are 16 separate categories. Now, my guests today, I'm delighted to say, are The Row Show. Welcome, guys. It's awesome to be on. Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having us uh, on Rowing Chat. I vividly remember the first time I discovered your podcast. I have that sort of lunchtime itch. Just you put something into a search bar and go, are there any other rowing podcasts out there? And I was like, oh, whoa, South Africans. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's good to you know it's good to put out the rowing brand out there. I think there's definitely more space. Um, there's there's so much space available for you know our, our podcasts, and uh, I think the rowing world definitely could use. Um, I mean, it's great to be in it, but it can definitely use some more exposure and stuff. So we're very happy, and and we have a lot of fun being part of that experience. Now, would you like to introduce yourselves individually 
to the listeners and tell us a bit about your personal background and your journey in the sport of rowing. Jake first. Awesome. So yeah, um, guys, I'm Jake and uh, I uh, grew up on a farm in the Eastern Cape, which is a rural uh, you know, province in South Africa. And I went to um, I was very lucky to go to a very good school here that uh, that um, offered rowing as a sport. And as, as I'm sure a lot of rowers, are how they, they end up throwing sport, I was terrible at uh, cricket and uh, tennis and a lot of other ball sports often in summer. So I thought, why not you know pick up uh, or, or and go out to a nature reserve and um, you know row in a dam every single day? It sounded like a much better option. So you know that's how I got started in the sports. And you know over time, it's developed into... Um, you know, something from I did at school to university to now obviously competing at an elite level. And uh, I've had a lot of fun uh, on my journey and hopefully continue and see some success in the sport. And you're currently part of the South African national team trailing for the Olympics. Yes, that is true. We are um, currently on a high altitude, high performance camp in Lesotho. And uh, we are training in preparation for going to the Olympic Games and also qualifying um, at the, the, the final qualification regatta soon. Lawrence is your partner in crime. Yeah, I'm the, the more handsome side of the, of the row show. Uh, we do most of the video stuff on, uh, on, on me. Okay. Um, so yeah, I started rowing oh, way back 2004 and, and uh, I'm from kind of like a rowing family where my mom and my dad have, have raced, uh, my dad raced for South Africa and my mom is our Olympic uh, team doctor. I also have three other brothers, all who have rowed and raced for, for South Africa. I'm the, the second oldest brother and yeah, I just started rowing because my dad, I see my dad row when I was little and when my brother started high school he he started rowing and was just really enjoying it so it was i couldn't wait to to get into a rowing boat when when i went to high school and yeah i kind of took off from there uh, i had some i went to junior world champs had some decent results as an under 23 and then a few rocky years as a as a early senior and then as jake said we both uh, went to the the rio olympic games and yeah jake selling himself short there jake raced in the the heavyweight four and and Got away with a narrow fourth place and and such a epic uh, Olympic Games for South African men's heavy four, which was quite unexpected. And then I raced in the the men's pair, so really awesome experience. And then going forward, as Jake said, we in uh, Lesotho now, uh, which is just the most phenomenal uh, remote place you can go to row. We row on a dam called Katsi Dam, and it's absolute glass nearly 24-7, a bit of wind every now and then and, and storms, but uh, it's about 50 kilometers long. So there's all the rowing we could possibly want up here. And yeah, so that's uh, kind of our background. I don't know if you, you need any more. You have put some wonderful photographs on your Instagram account of a pair rowing on the dam. Is that you two? Are you rowing together at the moment? No, we're actually in separate boats. Uh, currently, I'm in the pair, and then uh, Lawrence is in the four, and actually preparing to go to late qualifications. Both of you. Yeah, no. So the pair is qualified, qualified already, yeah. and then the four uh, still has to go and qualify. And yeah, it's quite uh, nerve-wracking. I've already raced <laughs> once at the Regatta of Death uh, back in in 2012, and uh, 
I'm feeling a little nervous to be to be heading back there again uh, for round two. Hopefully, it goes a, a little better this time. No, it will go a lot better this time. Tell me, are you also doing the World Cup the week after? Um, that's actually it's quite tricky. I think we, um, I mean, our, our coaching t- uh, staff haven't really spoken to us about that. The plan is if everything goes really well is for us to, I think, race at the World Cup. Um, but obviously there's from a logistical point of view and um, there's a lot of red tape, so to speak, for us to get there with Corona and restrictions, um, especially, you know, coming from outside Europe. Uh, there are a lot of different things we have to get right for, for that to happen. So I think ideally that is the plan for us to race there. Um, but uh, we'll see. That's, um, that's we're really taking it one one day at a time at the moment. Yeah, I read in the newspaper this morning that Greece is lifting quarantine restrictions on people who've had the vaccine. So I know the New Zealand athletes have been vaccinated. I guess you guys are in the queue. Well, not not actually. We've been struggling. But, I mean, our country has been managing fairly well. We've been getting about 1,500, 1,000 cases a day for a while now. Yeah. So I think we've actually... Um, we've been doing all right. I think uh, I think Switzerland I think is, is struggling a little bit more. So I think that's you know that's where the the tricky part's going to come in. Yeah, I think South Africa struggled a lot to to get the vaccines uh, and get them distributed. They're still on healthcare workers and uh, elderly. So I think we're a bit far down the but, the queue to be getting yeah. that. But in all in all, South Africa's kind of handled it uh, fairly fairly reasonably. Uh, we haven't had that many cases, and we haven't had very many cases in our team, which has been really yeah, good. That's been a lot. And then we—it's—it's it's mainly about going over to to Switzerland. Can we stay healthy over the flight? And then can we? There's a lot of that's. I mean, it's possibly one of the yeah. most well represented regattas of the year before Tokyo late qualification, because a lot of countries like South Africa and uh, New Zealand, Australia, they're only going to be sending boats to that regatta. The rest of the regattas, they won't be attending. So it's uh, it's going to be nerve-wracking. It is. It certainly is. And I've read that the Turkish team got sent home from the European champs because someone tested positive. Mm. Yeah, and it'll be a bit more serious if teams get sent home from a qualification than, uh, than uh, European champs. Yeah. That would be a disaster. I think we just need a benevolent, you know, multi-gazillionaire with a private jet. <laughs> yeah, that would that would make all our lives a bit easier. I was hoping the IOC was going to let or FISA was going to get all the athletes vaccinated privately. That would have worked quite well for us. Yeah, all There's those probably drug- many athletes compared yeah. to... Just send it out through water and just let us uh, let all the athletes get the the vaccine. Easy. Now let's roll back to how did you two come up with this madcap idea of starting a podcast? You're obviously friends. You must have roomed together a few times and had a few late night conversations. Whose idea was it? I'll let Lawrence take this one. Yeah. So, kind of. Uh, I started the road show, but Jay came on board basically after like one or two episodes because I knew we need I needed someone someone else to help me bounce the conversation off and have it a bit more casual. And I mean, it started off with just we we felt like we had decent stories from the Olympic Games, and we, anyone we 
spoken to had amazing stories from the Olympic Games. And we thought that there was no access to any of these kind of remarkable athletes beyond their, the results page. And without looking, if you're just looking at their results, it's cool. But they, we know that there's so much more behind their results. So initially, it started off as just a South African podcast. We were just going to add interview South African rowers and, and bring it to the South African community. But immediately we thought, no way, the, the, we, more rowers are going to want to speak about this and, and hear about this. So we branched out and from there just uh, took off. I mean, it really was, uh, it's more us trying to hang on to, to this thing and, and keep it going rather than uh, trying to pull it, pull teeth, eh, Jake? Yeah, and I think, um, I think you know, what's also helped a lot is I think uh, Lawrence and I are in a unique position of being you know, high performance athletes that are, you know, currently competing um, at elite level. And that I think that gives us access to the ability to speak to some of the, the most amazing athletes in the world. And I think, you know, we, as the show has progressed, we've kind of leveraged that um, to be able to, to speak to, you know, the elite uh, athletes in the world and, you know, some of the top performers, and um, it's great to get their voices heard because, I mean, everyone out there would love to listen to, you know, the Mahi Drysdales of the world and uh, just listen to their stories because I think um, when you listen to their stories, the, the biggest take for me, there's always small parts that you find, you know, within yourself, which is great. And then also, I think from our side, from, from also, it's like, I would just, we just wanted to hear the stories. So having... Uh, the best way to do that was to record it and say, oh, we're doing this podcast and then we're going to post up these these interviews. But literally, if no one had listened to them, I think we would have still carried on uh, interviewing people because it was we were enjoying it so much and learning so much from uh, these best athletes in the, in the, in the world of rowing. So, uh, yeah, the podcast was kind of on the side. Mm. I like that because it's very, very clear in your interviewing technique that you're both the two of you riffing off each other, which is lovely, but actually you spark such curiosity in the listener by the questions you ask. And because you have the status of being elite athletes yourselves, you kind of have license to ask questions that a journalist just wouldn't be you know, they'd be cut down. They just go, nah, not answering that. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, respect. I mean, just across most rowers, you know, I often think like if, you know, as a rower, you know, as soon as you've done a 2K erg, there's an immediate level of respect and understanding between the two of you just because of the, you know, what you have to put yourself through. And it's it's similar in the podcast. Like I feel like Lawrence and I have got a, a great ability to connect with some of the athletes we talk to just based off that, you know, I mean, the people we're talking to are phenomenal athletes. Like, I mean, most of the time, if we could ever get to their legacy, that would be amazing. But there is a connection of respect and understanding of kind of what we all go through on this journey of trying to achieve the gold medals in the sport. And I think that does actually help a lot. And I think we give a we give a place for people to go deeper into their story yeah. and to you know it's not a short you know uh, any interview that I've done for media generally it's like five five ten minutes max and it's the generic questions and you kind of have your stock standard answers ready to go and you're just trying to get out of there so you're batting these things out uh, word for word for how you've answered them before in the past and now we're giving 
the athletes chance to really dig in, asking them like actual questions about the sport, their, their involvement and their journey. And I think, uh, I know I appreciate that and mm. I, I'm sure that our, our guests appreciate that. I get the impression that the stories you managed to draw out are the things that would never make it into an authorised book, you know, biography. Yeah, I know. I think, um, I guess, the, the podcast format lends itself towards that, especially, like Lawrence said earlier, we, you know, we don't put a time restriction we don't put a time restriction on um, on many of our interviews. And uh, I think that just allows, you know, the scope of what you can get into. It like really allows, you know, athletes out there to go into um, certain things that probably don't lend themselves well to normal interviews or um, other forms of media. And uh, I think that, you know, that's that, that, that helps a lot. Now, you mentioned Mahi Drysdale as one as your, one of your more famous uh, interviewees, and I will say I've also and he consistently comes up very very high in our um, podcast stats of people listening to old rec- episodes, and certainly alongside I think Drew Ginn and Alan Campbell and Mahi, the three of them are just my my trio, my top three. So who are the greatest hits that the Row Show has interviewed? Sure, we have some we have some banger mm. episodes. We really have some good ones and some eye openers. And some of them are unassuming. Some of them are, are the athletes that you wouldn't really uh, uh, think have would have this amazing story. And then others are just just who they are is 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 so good. But I think uh, for me, my personal favorite episode is Eric Murray. Uh, we had such a good chat with him. We had to split it onto two parts because it was I think we spoke uh, over two hours. And, you know, we just couldn't get him to stop once we, we got going. <laughs> and his part two really goes into like the, I, I enjoy this side of the row show where we get into like the really technical, uh, really complicated parts of rowing. And he dives straight in and he told us amazing stories about it. And he, you know, I mean, we're talking about someone who's won 69 races in a row. I've raced him multiple times and we can just uh, spark up a conversation so easily and so carefree that we can just uh, mm. really get into this rowing. And it's like, it just sounds, for me, it's like just mates having a chat about uh, rowing races and uh, and competition. And there's lots of banter, some good jokes. And then there's also some incredibly wise words from him for all kind of all levels of rowers. You know, if you're a beginner and you, you're starting off rowing at school, you can listen to him and he's going to inspire you to to go and pull a bit harder or you know train a little bit better and yeah i mean he was just so phenomenal and i think for me that's uh was our best episode and yeah it's a big a big hit for for our listeners i think it's our our top episodes yeah and uh, i think for me i mean uh eric was a fantastic episode and i'd probably put it up there with my favorites but i think uh, episode that stands out to me, if I think back to recording, it was probably the episode we did with Martin Cross, um, and that was a good one. And um, I think Martin Cross not only is you know he's got such an interesting story, not just being an athlete, but his journey to being the the voice that we all know um, as the commentator, Will Drawing. 
he also is a fantastic storyteller and because he spends so much time behind a mic commentating and in media he is so good at talking and you know for us as interviews to have someone on the show that's so good at staying on point and delivering fantastic points bouncing back between the two of us i think the conversation we had with him was amazing and you know he is a gold medalist um, from the olympics so talking about his journey in the sport from a time um you know uh, that none of us a lot of us rowing today are not familiar with that was amazing to listen to and i think he had a very candid um you know he offered us a very candid look into his rowing journey and um i was i was really happy that i got a chance to speak to someone like that and i mean all in all i mean like i said he's just a really good storyteller i mean you could have that guy around um for a braai or a barbecue or dinner and you know he would be the the best person to strike up a conversation with and i think that stands out um as a really good episode but it's hard to choose as well cuz i really yeah. feel like there's and and even though the athletes that you don't don't even necessarily know uh, if you're looking through our list and you and you pick one of those I, they promise you they're going to blow your blow your mind and and blow you away mm. with uh, their story their journey it's some of it is just uh yeah unbelievable rowing really has some incredible athletes uh behind the scenes there have you guys read martin cross's book olympic obsession because if you can get a hold of a copy and it is out of print now i used to sell it when i owned row perfect uk it was one of my best selling books and he owned the only place i could get copies from was from martin's house and i used to get on my motorbike and i go all the way down to um new morden to um to his home to pick up copies that i then carry back in carrier bags swinging off the handlebars cuz i didn't have room enough for them and they were hardback and it's a collection of each chapter is a is a story about as you say he's a great storyteller and um i was talking to him once and he said you know there's another whole edition of that book you know i've just got another whole load of stories i just need to find the time to write them and he said mm. you know the scandals <laughs> the love <laughs> interest yeah that sounds like a rower yeah <laughs> sounds like yeah many rowers many rowers no we we haven't actually we haven't read his book but i i would love to get a hold of a copy i think there there's actually unfortunately you know there's a, there is a relatively short list of of rowing books you can get hold of and you know i think uh, probably one of my favorites is assault and lake cetus and that was a fantastic one and um yeah i would love to get a hold of uh, martin cross's book one of my most popular blog posts is rowing books and i create a list and i just keep adding to it anytime a new one comes out um mm. it's yeah when you're actually interviewing people do you learn from them things that you can then put into practice in your own psychology or your own rowing training definitely i mean i think it's it's a it's a thing is a, tr a, tr a tricky one because you don't necessarily want to kind of take on For all bottom, this yeah. uh extra info from from all these athletes and and try and make uh, your picture better i think it's more just about learning more about the sport about rowing about the rowing stroke and kind of building a bigger picture in your mind of what the ideal stroke and the ideal training is necessarily so it's not so much that like we're trying to copy every uh, good idea that people have because there's so many different ways for athletes to be fast there's so many different training ways there's so many different ways to to execute the rowing stroke 
it's more just learning about how many different ways there are and then being more uh kind of educated on the the choices then that we can make yeah. at home in the boats yeah and i think like lawrence said there is actually you can there's a dangerous element of trying to implement at many times things that uh, you will listen to because i think those those um those things those insights that come from these athletes are often within a, a realm of contextual ideas and you know programs and coaches techniques patterns of behavior that you might not necessarily have access to so if you try implement all of that it might not come out really well but i think the psychological element of a lot of the things that um a lot of the athletes whenever they get into psychological stuff that's probably the 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 um you know the gold for me i have taken a lot uh from many athletes about just talking about that psychology of rowing the psychology of training um, and like Lauren said, there are many different ways to skin the cat. Um, and it's just about, you know, finding, finding um, your rhythm and uh, finding your way in the sport. Give us an example of one of those psychology insights, Jake. Yeah, so um, I think to bring back Eric Murray's um, point, um, Eric Murray's episode, sorry. You know, I think he, he spoke a lot of a – lot so for him, if you look at his career – you know, he spent, you know, two seas uh, Olympiads in the sport, um, rowing in uh, crews to varying degrees of success. But, you know, he didn't win an Olympic medal until the 2012 race with the, the Kiwi pair. And I think a lot of people sometimes forget when they look at Eric and um, Hamish, especially Eric, is that they don't understand that how much time Eric put in to get there. And I think psychologically, learning from someone had had to put in the grind for so long to get to where he was and just listening to his humility and his groundedness. I mean, Lawrence said it was like having a, a chat with a friend that was almost disarming for me because I didn't expect him to be so down to earth and humble. And it's like just learning from that kind of, you know, humbleness and just the, just the, the desire to be better and to be work hard. And that success is a, is a long road. Sometimes, you know, you take turns, sometimes you go backwards, sometimes you go forwards. It's, it's not a, a linear path. And, for me, that's probably, you know, one of the, the striking ones that I can recall. Lawrence? Uh, I like um, when we get into, like, the crew dynamics. And, you know, that I feel like that is such... Uh, it's almost, like, on par with, like, the physiology and the technique of the, of the actual stroke is the dynamics between the crew and how important that is for success and then the more crews or the more successful athletes that have been in these crew boats we chat to the more we realize that that kind of magic sometimes that you can feel when you when you get in a boat that just moves well and just clicks together it's not or it's there's this kind of some kind of science behind it and there's some kind of uh this there's, there's elements that make that work so i mean when we uh oh, oh who do we chat to jake's that was so good. Like uh, Chitl Borsch and yeah. Olaf spoke about the double and and jumping in between the double and and how they got the dynamics uh, really really well there. And, and Brian Brian Volpenheim, I think uh, him speaking about the eight, um, especially the eight that went to the 2000 Olympics and came fifth, which was a horrifically um, disappointing result for them. Listening to him speak about those dynamics in the crew like that, and then turning that around in the next four years especially if, um, with him, one of the members that continued on, 
turning that around and, and learning from the experience that what went wrong and what could change. And then, you know, you're dealing with an eight, eight egos and then changing it up to get a, a fantastic gold medal at 2004. Um, you know, those are really interesting. 2008, sorry. But those are really interesting. Absolutely understand. And in fact, there's a very, one of the nice things about rowing is you often hear a famous story like that from a couple of different perspectives. One of his 2000 crewmates wrote the story about how he retired so disappointed. And of course, mm. Brian took the opposite view. There's another very famous one for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. Um, there's the Shell Game and Assault on Lake Casitas. Both of those books tell the same story of the same hideous selection camp where, oh, my gosh, yeah. they were up, down and sideways. Yeah, I think Lake on Assault Casita is a, is a really good story. Um, I mean, if those listeners out there, it's about the American double that went on to win gold in the, um, on Lake Casitas in 1984. And um, they weren't the the um, the, the pre I think they weren't the crew that was originally selected, but then went on to beat the selected crew at a later date to then go on to the Olympics to win gold. So I mean that that book is is an incredibly um, cool insight and just a good story of you know kind of like the small guy winning at the end of the day. So very good. Absolutely right. Now, from the two of you, you're in different crews. What are your personal skills as? athletes and your preferences in a crew situation what's the role that you like to take so it's, it's actually quite funny because me and Jacob are really similar uh, we both like being in the stroke seat and uh, we, we both have performed really well in the stroke seat of uh, of, a, of many boats but we also really like being in the bow seat and like taking uh, charge of the calls and you know uh, being the leader in the boat and so we we actually are very flexible and we have raced together I mean raced uh, 2017 in the falls together and 2018 in the pair together so yeah we've got some uh, good good skills around the boat and I mean we mainly row pairs and fours and I would say my Favorite position. I mean, I raced in the bow seat at the the Rio Games, and I really like the bow seat. I feel there's I can add a I can add a lot of value in the back of the boat. You can uh, you're in charge of the calls, you're in charge of the race plan, and 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 you know and I feel uh, very comfy in the back. Um, but I do like stroking. I feel like you you I don't know. You're always the the big dog if you if you're sitting in the in the front of the boat. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, I, it's. I would say that I've spent most of my time in stroke seat, so I would say that I, I would most of my skill and and my proficiency as a rower has come from that stroke seat. So I mean, definitely that would be. I would say would be my prof most proficient position and um, probably where I'm at my best. But I've actually, you know, as you know, as I've become more seasoned and uh, somewhat of a veteran now on the South African rowing team, uh, you know, the 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 leadership element that I can bring has seen me um, grow in the bow seat and I've actually again enjoyed that just like Lauren said from the control side and then again I also think of that that bow seat as an as amalgamation of you know and a coach a motivational speaker and a technical analyst all in one so I, I like that challenge of of you know keeping the, the crew honest and trying to bring out the base of the crew um, on the long on the long steady so yeah, say so that that's that's a cap of, of what I can bring. I love what you're saying about 
maturing within the context of the entire team because you mm. realize that, you know, physiologically, you've got what you were born with and you've both highly trained athletes who now have many, many years of training under your belt. But actually, that's quite a small part of what it takes to get to the A final, let alone a mm. medal. What are the things that you, if you were looking back at your younger self, the Jake, the Lawrence, on your first year on the team, what advice would you give yourself with the context of what you now know? Um, I would say uh, start off and, and I wouldn't say give your, uh, don't give yourself too many expectations. Um, rock up to every single training session um, and try to be as consistent as possible. And the last thing I would say is be as coachable as you possibly can, even when your ego gets in the way. Sure, Jake, that's a good answer. So, um, yeah, I would say similar to Jake is, is be, the, the being coachable is probably the number one. And I think I was lucky, and I think Jake probably feels the same, as we joined a South African team that was really on the up. We had had some really successful people above us, and mm -hmm. we joined this team where there were some really impressive uh, athletes and lightweights that were that were doing some really uh, uh, good results uh, overseas. And you know, we joined this team, and they they kind of gave us that the good advice. You know, I, I would I think those guys had mm. a tough time before them, and they didn't have people above them to to kind of bring them up. So. I remember getting getting one of the biggest pieces of advice that I got was seizing every opportunity that you get. So you're there every day and you're training hard, but learn to recognize when you get that sniff and that you get that opportunity to put your name on the on the top of the list and then take it because that one session, uh, you know, you might have been you might be quite far down the list, but if you nail the one session that counts, you can often put yourself right at the top very quickly and uh, and and do a lot of damage to your uh, opposition that's around you. Jake, give us an example of what is going on in your brain, your your little self-talk, when your ego is getting in the way. Because I'd love listeners to be able to identify for themselves what that might be feeling like so that they can respond to it. No bad language, Jake. Yeah, no bad language. Um, I've actually, I think I've actually gotten much better at this the, the older I've gotten. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I also, I think it might be from the podcast as well. I kind of recognize that there's a sense that, you know, the more experience you get as a rower, the kind of, the, the more you realize that there's so much out there and there's so much more you can learn. And I kind of, I always take, I try to always take a stance that the coach is always right. Um, regardless of what he says. And, um, you know, I think there's also, I keep telling myself, uh, a couple important points that when there's something different in the boat, that difference might be uh, come across as a negative feeling in the boat. Um, but that difference uh, oftentimes will just feel negative because it's different and it's alien. And uh, a lot of the times that doesn't mean you shouldn't try and you know replicate that change. And I think again, just staying humble and honest because you know if you if you if you let your ego get in the way, that that's going to be a horrific. Um, uh, can lead to horrific results and just stay humble, stay grounded. You're not the, unless there are very few people, but you're not the best in the world. There is someone out there that is faster than you. So you've got to stay hungry and you just got to, you know, listen, 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 listen. Don't, don't think you know more than what your coach does. Always listen to what they say.
I love what you said about both appreciating and understanding the stroke and the bow seat. Do you both row on both sides? Yeah, Lawrence does. I'm a specialist on stroke side. <laughs> Jake is a uh, spe specialist on stroke side. And then I've raced, I started rowing on stroke side. Then I switched to, to row with Sean in the, the, the Rio Olympiad in, onto bow side. And I've switched back onto stroke side. And uh, yeah, it's uh, just kind of, I switched and, and gone wherever I needed to go. I just, uh, as Jake said, you just listen to the coach and, and yeah. a, good, a good athlete is an athlete that listens well. That's so true. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was the amount of um, influence you can bring to a racing performance or a training performance by being the person who gives the calls. And one of my interviews was with uh, an athlete who in the Olympic Games ended up in a four with the man who had been his high school rowing coach. And he said, you know, we'd had a very good heat and we were going into the final. And before the final, we decided with our coach that I would do the calls from the two seat. And the basic rule was, you know, get off the start, get into the second 500. We know what we're doing. My instruction was, as we're approaching the halfway, look around and tell us where we are relative to the other crews. And, you know, as a rower, even at my level, I was like, yeah, that sounds fairly familiar. That seems like, you know, a normal piece of advice. The athlete was Drew Ginn. And he said, there I am sitting in the boat behind my rowing coach at the Olympic Games, rowing in the final, in the awesome foursome. I can't believe it. You know, this is dream not dream A or B, this is unbelievable. And so I follow instructions and I get to into the second 500 and I look around to see where we are. And I tell the crew where we are relative to the other countries. And then he said, I don't know what happened, but for some reason I decide I should be starting to commentate on the race. <laughs> Nice. He said, he said the three man turned around and told him to shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's I think that's the reasonable <laughs> response, especially in a racing environment. I think if anyone could be able to speak that much, I'd be like, listen, you need to stop speaking and start pulling a bit more. No, that's so funny. That is so funny. And you know, it's it's so true. If you're ever in a race and you know you got the the young guy in your crew and you know, we, you know that they are putting it all out there for them. And sometimes they can get carried away and they need to get told, listen, you guys, you need to shut up because <laughs> we're rowing, we're racing. Yeah, this is, this is all in. So that's so funny. Mm. Isn't it interesting, though, how when the blood goes from your head, you don't make very rational decisions? Have you had a situation where something's happened which has been very, very random or completely I was unable to do anything. I was a frozen rabbit in the headlights. Well, I, th I think in a, in a racing environment, I'm trying to think now um, just from like weird things happening during a race. I've had recently two years ago, we had a um, at early at the end of the beginning of the season, there's a regatta that's held at Rudaplat and often we compete in skulls as individuals. 
and it was rough weather. And I remember um, in the heat before the start of the race, I remember one of the athletes looking across and saying, no one fall in, laughed sarcastically. And I'm like, dude, you shouldn't have said that. Start the race, 400 meters in the race, that person fell in the water. Um, and then the next heat, another person, and we're talking about the, the we all, you know, on the trying for the South African team. So these are all proficient scholars falling in. And I just thought that was hell of a funny. Yeah. And we've had, I've had the same, very similar to Drew's story with, uh, we're racing at eight and we have a, a schoolboy oh, stepping into the eight uh, to cox us and just going ballistic at the start, just screaming. And then it's like every single stroke. And I was sitting back, I think in like six or seven seat, maybe six or five seat. And the stroke man, the seven man, no one is saying anything to the cox. And I'm like, everyone is just getting killed. We like, we're winning the race and it's going just, well. And he is just screaming and yeah. screaming and nonstop. And eventually also had to just shout from the back, just shut the fuck up as well. Because <laughs> it's like, you're so, it's, it's, it's so distracting. And you know, you're already, you, the blood is flowing. The, I mean, a rowing race is a seriously aggressive, uh, it's an emotional uh, thing to go yeah. through. And now you have uh, someone that's irritating you during this uh, extreme performance. So it's, uh, yeah, it, that, that is definitely one of the most infuriating uh, things that can happen. Verbal <laughs> diarrhea from Coxon. Oh, my Lord, it was bad. I was also in that eight. I do remember that. <laughs> and of course, you don't want to discourage the lad because he's only just beginning his running. No, exactly. no we did. We exactly. did. No one said anything for like, tell the yeah. 1500 meters, tell 500 meters to go. And then suddenly it's like, okay, th this is now getting too much. I Please. think he got carried away because we needed, uh, I can't remember. I think there were like, there were a couple of eights um, that were made up. I think there were two eights that the squad managed to put together. Plus there were university eights and we didn't have a cox because um, you know, there isn't a, a, that much aid racing around here. So with the Coxes, Coxswain are in short supply. So we had a schoolboy jump in and obviously he just got carried away. And it must have been the fastest aid he ever rode in. And we were winning quite comfortably and he just got carried away. But we said to him afterwards, we said, just, you know, don't think too much into it. We don't hate you. It was, listen, it's just in the, the, the situation you know, we've got to say something because we cannot race down the track like that. And actually, if thinking, talking about this story, I have the exact, uh, it was very similar, opposite story. So the first time, uh, my first year of, of rowing in the national team, uh, I joined the team and, you know, things are going well. I've been rowing uh, quite a lot, but I've always sat in the stroke seat. And then, uh, actually, I think it was in my uh, second year. So I've done a, a decent year of my first year under 23s starting to to be a, a, a decent under 23 athlete and i get put into the one of the top lightweight fours because i was a bit spare or they had, had a sickness or an injury so they put me into the two seat of a four and this is like the first time i've ever been in the back of a boat i've been stroking since i joined rowing when i was at school and i just always sat in the stroke seat now i'm back in the two seat and i'm rowing with my older brother uh, matthew and james thompson and uh I don't know, and, and one another, the others, maybe Cesar and Lovu. And, you know, I'm get told now I must do, the, I must do the calling. And I've never <laughs> called in a boat ever before in my life. So we row a lap and, you know, I'm just trying to wonder what the hell's uh, rowers are supposed to say when they're calling. And I'm trying to think, and I'm just saying like one or two things every, every now and then. And we get uh, through the first lap and my older brother as siblings, 
would do. Just turns around and has me. He's shouting, like, what the hell is wrong with you? You're supposed to be calling and you said two things down the whole stretch and, you know, our boat's not going well and you just bring this thing together. And I'm like, see, they're like, oh, my soul. All I'm trying to do is row with you guys. The level is already so much beyond what I'm able to to produce. And now suddenly I must call as well. And then the, the guy behind me in the bus, he just calmly said, I'll take the calling. I'm like, oh, thank God, please, someone else do this. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. It's a bit like that when you first start coaching. You're you're going along and you you see something and you pick up your megaphone and then you put it down again without saying anything because you can't decide what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Now, I am going to guess, since we've gotten into unexpected moments, that the podcast has thrown you guys some real curveballs from time to time. You're looking at each other and grinning and nodding. Come on. This, this is why we're interviewing you. We want to hear about all the balls ups. Um, yeah, I've, I've met a couple. So I'm in charge of organizing the interviews. And let me just tell you, being South African and uh, organizing interviews with people from around the world, this can get tricky. Um, so, you know, I've made a couple blunders with timing issues with uh, Emma Twig. I organized an interview with um, Emma um, on a Saturday, and uh, for some reason, I th- the last person we spoke to was from Canada, so I thought it was the the day <laughs> after or the day before. I didn't think it was on the day, and I was busy having a beer or two, and then I realized, I realized in a shock uh, moment of clarity that <laughs> I was supposed to be talking to Emma Twig in half an hour, so I, <laughs> I panically... <laughs> Messaged Lawrence, I did, you know, obviously he would know, and I, I messaged Emma, but thankfully, you know, she, she was fantastic and said, listen, it's okay, we can chat tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I've made, I've made a couple of those errors. The, the timing errors are really, that's a classic Jake move. Uh, you know, we, we like, I'm like, Jake, have you double checked the time? Yes, no, no. Have you really checked the time? Yes, yeah, I know, we're good, we're good, we're on. And then get there, and it's like, Daylight savings in no, GB or I organized the interview with Catherine Granger, Dame Catherine Granger, and that was really difficult. She's really busy, so it took a while for me to set up a date. But it was a long process, and by that, when I started that process of organizing a time, I was out. Daylight savings hadn't started yet, so I booked it down, and I I done made sure I had the app, everything was right, and I'm like GB is one hour behind, it's fine. <laughs> Daylight savings. For some reason, there's day a thing called daylight savings. Um, so that that was also a mistake. But that was only that was an hour later. So that didn't end up being a, a disaster. Yeah, and then I think that the the worst one that we've had by far. I don't know if we can go into explicit details about it, but I'll just give you the brief over side of. We were on training camp, and Jake had eaten some funny fish. And then there was, <laughs> we were chatting to Jake Wetzel and mid, mid chat, uh, Jake, poor Jake had to run off, uh, run off to, I had some toilet to the loo. He, he was having some issues. So that was, that remarkable. was quite an interesting one. And I had to really hold my composure to, to keep the, the interview running. And, and we, it was before we were doing video, uh, chats were just on audio, and I, I don't even think Jake Metzel knew, but it was carnage on our side of the, the microphone. I had to, yeah, no, it was, I could not believe Lawrence managed <laughs> to keep it together. 
I could not believe because I, I thought that was it. That was it. There was no ways. And it was fairly early. I couldn't. I'm like, oh, guys, we're talking to Jake Vettel here. I can't, I can't let this happen. So that that was you know that was um that was probably the the worst out of them. But yeah, we've we've had our fair share of, uh, mishaps. of mishaps. I'm going to let you guys into a secret. I set up the interviews, but I do not organize the times. I have a specialist who does it for me. Don't worry, Rebecca. I also have a specialist that does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's tough. It's tough, but uh, now now I've got a a dedicated website and an app that I use to calculate the time zone changes. So, yeah, hopefully it's it's smooth sailing from here on. We we discovered one time really early on when I was using honestly the early software available for podcasting was lousy compared with what's available now. So I can and imagine. I was, I was using live gaming software. You know how gamers get on yeah, for streaming. Yeah. And we chose to do it on a day when the USA went into daylight savings, but not every state did it. Oh. And I had people messaging me going, when's it on, when's it on? I'm like, we don't start for an hour. And other people going, when's it on, when's it on? It was like, we finished oh, an hour no. ago. <laughs> oh, no. The, the daylight savings is a mess because we don't have it at all in South Africa. Yeah. There's no such thing. So that really messes with us. And the time zones are, are, are can be really intense because, you know, you, you're dealing and you're not even sure sometimes, you're not even sure what city people are living in and really takes some finesse to, to get that right. Yeah. yeah. But actually, we haven't really, we haven't had like catastrophes. Like we haven't ever missed one and then had to, we had one where we rocked up for the interview and uh, our guest had, uh, had misjudged the the date, but uh, other than that, we we've been fine. It's, it's so easy to reschedule yeah. and just carry on with your life. Can't let those kind of things uh, stress you out. Mm. Absolutely not. And of course, New Zealand is the worst time zone. We are a day ahead, so I'm Thursday, you're Wednesday, and everybody gets us completely wrong. And it's just hideous because from us trying to, at least you're in line with Europe. We're not. Yes, that helps. Yeah, actually, though, our, our episodes with New Zealand have worked out well because their morning and our evening kind of line up, and it's better for us to to do it in the evening because then it doesn't training. get in way of of our training. So, kind of works. Yeah, mm. I will say that we tried to get Emma Twig on recently, and because she's in a book about called Women's Voices in Rowing, so I had the book author and said, "Could you invite one of your chapter?" subject she said yeah yeah emma that would be awesome that'd be awesome and we couldn't find a time where emma was available i was available and the host in in the czech republic yeah. was available no it's yep. gonna be tricky yeah. now you guys have just launched a patreon to get support financial support for your podcast would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about what led you to do this and and how how it's going yeah, so I mean, we've been running the the podcast since 2017, and it's always been free, been a hobby of ours, and we've always wanted to kind of just take it up a little notch. And you know, our equipment and stuff wasn't ideal, so we'd had the we'd had a, a really average mic, and you know, recording it was was always a bit messy. So we we launched the Patreon because we knew that the, the, we we always have a really good 
uh, rapport with some of our listeners. They always message us and, and let us know what they, they think of the show and give us their, their ideas and their tips and stuff. So we wanted to, to see if we could turn that into some kind of uh, financial support for the show. And so we launched the Patreon and yeah, it's been amazing. And I think it really does allow us to go on and, and kind of make the show a little bit more regular and kind of give us more opportunities to, to bring more content to our listeners. And even the, the microphone and the, the setup that we've got now, uh, that's all from, from our Patreon. So it's, it's been really, really amazing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like like Lawrence said, it's it does help. It it, it it provides a deeper engagement for our listeners, and then also, I mean, going forward, it allows us to grow grow the show. Um, you know, take yeah, another turn it step. from it like a from a hobby yeah. to to something. something that's that's more substantial. And then the the way Patreon works is you have the the tiers, and you have a subscription model, so you can sign up for for either. One, we just have uh, three tiers, bronze, silver, gold. We thought that worked out quite well for all the sports yeah. enthusiasts. And do you want to explain the, the tiers for everyone, Jake? Yeah, so for um, for the first tier, for our bronze tier, we have um, bronze. And at the moment, that's just a, a support tier for you know helping, um, helping the show out financially and just providing support. Uh, the second tier is silver. That's our uh, $6 tier. Um, and that uh, has, you know, supporting the show, early access to athlete interviews. And also, you get to be part of the Patreon discussion group that we have on WhatsApp, and we just talk about the episodes, rowing, what's happening on our lives. Yeah, I must say that the WhatsApp group is huge for us. Yeah. So, like all of our our silver members and gold members go onto this big WhatsApp group, and we have such awesome discussions. And that's where we like chat about upcoming guests we're going to have on the show, as well as like previous shows we've had and 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 can really interact with our listeners and it really is amazing i think we get such good content i think they get kind of really good access to to what we do on the show and that can influence us quite a lot and then for the the 12 dollar the gold subscription we we have some really awesome benefits so currently we've had some live um some live listeners so they can listen they can join us and listen live to us we recording uh, a show to for them and then they get uh we do like bonus episodes with them we're going to do some great debates and stuff with them coming up in the in the future so uh it's a it's it's really cool and i think depending on how enthusiastic you are about uh, mm -hmm. the row show you can uh, there's really is something for for everyone and then also we also do uh regatta madness where we kind of go over our previous uh, a, a previous regatta or a regatta that's just run over the weekend and then we do like statistics and we break down all the times and the percentages of the, that regatta and we kind of <laughs> share that to to all our patrons as well and kind of bring them into to that discussion about the weekend's racing so mm. it's yeah it's really cool and and we've had great support and 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 great feedback from our, our patreon account yeah and i think we will that's you know the the memberships and the, the the bonuses, I think that will grow in the future. We are fairly new to it, so um, as we develop a podcast, the the bonuses and yeah. the, the the rewards we can offer are probably going to increase as well. Because I mean, there there are things in the pipeline that we're also working on um, at the moment. So yeah, interesting. So for the listeners, you can find the row show and support them at Patreon. P A T R E O N 
dot com forward slash the row show and all of the information is there for you now i think that was a stroke of genius if i can say so um publicly and i'm really really delighted that you guys have um have taken the lead in getting support from your amazingly engaged audience and i personally love it when you do the the uh, regatta madness episodes and you go through the prognostic spreadsheet and the percentages because listener if you haven't heard this what you hear is on air live misunderstandings between the two guys as they go no 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 they were the worst no 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 they weren't the worst the worst one was this one <laughs> we also talk about some good performances yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> we don't roast the people that just raced it that's people think that's what happens yeah but... only people that have to race us yeah sure <laughs> So who wrote the spreadsheet? That's Lawrence. He's the numbers guy. <laughs> so in the boat, Lawrence, talk, talk to us about numbers when you're actually rowing. Are you the guy who's infinitesimally adjusting the pitch and the you know the speed and the force curves on the strain gauges of the gate? You know, what are the numbers that you love in in the boat? I hope. I hope he doesn't do any of that. <laughs> no. So actually, in our in our South African team. The boat is the coaches. Yeah. Uh, Roger, he, he is, it's his boat. And we, we dare not touch it, let alone uh, fiddle with some of the settings. So we're definitely not uh, on that side of things. What I really like is looking at the, the percentages and looking at the kind of gaps between different crews and different uh, uh, races and seeing who's, uh, which boat classes are performing the best and even analyzing like so say now if I'm going to go race in the four, I like to go and look at past times and, and go and jot them all down and because uh, world rowing gives you some really great statistics on uh, on past races. So you can go and, and look at cruise profiles and, and things like that. So I like that kind of numbers. When I'm actually in the boat, I am not really worried about the numbers at all. I don't in the bar seat of the the four, I don't have a stroke coach or anything. So and I don't count strokes. I just uh, pure feeling in the boat. Mm -hmm. I had you completely wrong. I had you pegged for the Mr. Numbers guy in the boat. Yeah, I mean, in the stroke seat, I'll, I, I mean, you know, you'll, I'll watch the numbers again. But even then, I've, I've had times where I've taped up uh, the speed on the, on the stroke coach because it can be, I can like almost, uh, yeah, I get like, if the number's there, I'm going to obsess about it. I'm going to analyze it all the time and always trying to pull it faster and, and get faster. Whereas that's not necessarily always the, the goal. So I uh, sometimes tape that up or turn it off because it's rowing is much more good rowing is is a feeling is not necessarily a number jake i'm sure you've got a theory about why different boat classes appear to be performing closer to olympic gold medal times than others what is it um yeah so i think uh, uh well just to start off i think honestly that some uh, events have faster uh, records in relation to some other events so that would mean that crews get um don't get as close to those times and i think there are situations especially with light ride drawing because you have that physical um that physical leveler of the of the weight um i think uh, that pushes the times that most crews row closer to each other and i think um just lightweight rowing i think there's something about the physiology that allows them to maybe be able to perform 
closer to that target than uh, maybe a lot of the, the other heavyweight rowers. Um, I know the lightweight double, they often row very close to their world record time compared to some other events. Um, and yeah, I'd say that's, that's, that's about as much as I could say about the subject. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I mean, for, for me and Jake, the lightweight women's double is, that's one of our favorite events by far to mm. watch. I mean, the, the competition is ruthless. You know, you also only have one lightweight event. So guys and girls, one lightweight double. So that means that everyone that weighs around the 70 kilo and the, and the, the, the 59 kilo mark is all piling into this one event. So the level of athletes, there's way more athletes that you're having to compete against and they ride on that weight, uh, weight cap limit and physical limit. So they always batting out close to the, 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 the world best. And it's, it's always exciting because anyone can arrive on their best day and take it from somebody else. Whereas the heavyweights, I mean, there's, there are really good races and there's, fantastic events but often it's it's dominated by a certain uh, crew or, or or country yeah i i totally hear what you're saying and it is always interesting i was listening to martin cross's commentary at the europeans as you probably were as well over the weekend um and some of the remarks that he's made and some of the remarks that me and my husband were making when we were watching some of the races it's really interesting to look at who won and who came second and whether or not you think that they've already hit their terminal velocity because there were definitely some events, we were particularly thinking of the quads, where there were some wins. There were some wins at some extremely high stroke rates and some people who were, you know, really nailing it and, you know, total kudos to them. They earned what they got. But you look at that crew and think, now, if I'm coaching that crew, how can I make it go faster between now and Tokyo? And through the season, I'm sure you see things develop that you think, I wonder. Yeah, definitely. I think that, that there's definitely that element of crews now maybe being a bit, uh, I don't know about too quick is the right word for it, but being too conditioned and too close to their, their peak, peak speed. speed. But I also don't think that there's, there's always a little bit of room to 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 make up. So I think if crews slow down from now till the end of the season, I think that's maybe from the bad coaching or or bad programs that their their training is not executing that good stroke. Because if you already at the top of your game, your um, program and your 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 coaching and your support staff should be able to maintain that, at least maintain that speed till the the end of the season. And then I also think in general, crews can always go a little bit faster because you can always get better athletes into the boats. You know, you can always get a bigger, stronger person, someone that can row and feel the boat a little bit better. So I feel like this, the, we might get to a point where the, the, the world records are really become really hard to break, like a men's four or men's pair. Uh, those records are going to take a long time for someone to to come and beat them. But eventually, there will be someone that rows a little bit better or is a little bit bigger than uh, Eric and and Hamish, and they might get the right day where they can take the the the, the record. Now, you both know that I edit a book called Rowing Tales each year, and in it, it's a collection of stories from all sorts of different people from around the world and from around different parts of our sport. Have you guys got a rowing tale you'd like to share with me? 
Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I actually think we've actually gone through quite a, a cool uh, set of rowing tales on the on the podcast. But um, in 2019, I was I was got a very uh, lucky chance to go to Zambia and uh, race on the Zambezi River against Oxford and Cambridge. It was um, it was an event where I was part of an alumni crew of University of Pretoria rowers. And we raced against alumni crews from Oxford and Cambridge. And then there was, uh, we raced it. There was a, a festival um, in the town we were racing in Livingston. And um, yeah, so the three of us, the, 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 the three crews raced on Saturday. But the tour itself was amazing. It's probably the first time I've been on a tour. And the, the most important about the tour was not the actual rowing. It was the fun and just uh, being able to interact with the rowers from Cambridge and Oxford and even in the South African boat, I got a chance to row with a lot of guys that, you know, I haven't spent time recently with. And uh, it was so much fun. And, and you know, it was, it was quite funny. We get over there and, you know, we've, as uh, from South Africa, we haven't trained in Zambia, which is in the middle on the equator. So it's hot out there. And, uh, you know, but we, we, we experienced the African sun. Um, so we, we were diligent enough to, wake up early with hangovers and go in and bat out a session in the morning, keep it short, you know, don't want to, you know, a lot of guys out there weren't as conditions as they once was. So kept it short, got our business done, one or two bursts got off the water. And I noticed that the, the, the guys from Oxford and Cambridge, they, they went out and practiced maybe a little bit too much. I remember them <laughs> seeing them go out in the blazing sun at midday on the Zambezi what? racing. Yeah. And then, by the end of the week, there was a many people from both boats that went down with uh, fevers and sickness, and you know mosquitoes had them <laughs> badly. Uh, <laughs> it was carnage out there, and thankfully, I think uh, one of our one of the the worst we had with one of our rows is uh, one of the guys uh, vomited, and I think that was that was the worst of it. And um, I'm sure that wasn't from the heat. It wasn't from the heat. <laughs> bad beer. But tell them about the the, the hippos and the. Cats. Yeah, I was, I'm going to get to that. Yeah, so the Zambezi was crazy. We're rowing out there, and literally, when we're training, we have a boat with us with guides and um, you know personnel that are used to dealing with the wildlife there because they were elephants next to the boat at points there were hippos in the water there were crocodiles in the water so rowing and then the guys like listen you guys need to go this way because they are there's their hippos and and stuff over there and that that was incredible just stopping and looking at elephants from the rowing boat was was an amazing experience um but yeah i mean the trip overall was it was so much fun and again the the opportunity to interact with the rowers from cambridge and oxford in a situation i mean in like an environment like that um where you know your guards down and you're having fun, and it was great to realize that you know most people there you've got more in common with each other than you do uh, the, the differences, and that was that was lots of fun. I really hope I get a chance to do that again. Jake, you're missing the most important part. What are the results? Oh yes, the results. So uh, we raced, <laughs> we raced a 500 meter sprint. And and we raced a 1K and we did win both of those. And the 500 meter sprint, we were there were floating pontoons in the water, and our pontoon had drifted backwards. So we started off length down, but we did we won we won all of them. And actually, I, I got to say this: our cox, we got a cox to come in, and she hadn't coxed in 
ages and <laughs> I was in the stroke seat, so I was helping her out a lot, but she, I felt so, I felt terrible because she was so nervous. She was shaking compulsively in the, <laughs> in the cock seat because we started the 500 meter sprint. There was no boys, the steering's anarchy, they're wild animals on the side. <laughs> Going in and out of the Cambridge Oxford cruise. I mean, people are shout James Thompson's from the bow seat shouting, hard bow, hard to bow. And after that race, I thought she was gonna fall over because she was shaking so much from the nerves. <laughs> and then she cocks three more races after that. So, you know, uh, she did a fantastic job that weekend. So yeah, it was lots of fun. You know what they say, bad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Yeah, no, that was that was lots of fun. Your go, Lawrence. What are you going to stun us with? I, I actually thought of a good story whilst uh, whilst you were chatting, but actually, I'm gonna I was gonna start by saying that I was upset. I was I should have been upset that I was missing the Zambezi row, but I was on my honeymoon, and you know I'm pretty sure I was having more fun than uh, than Jake was up in the Zambezi getting chased by hippos. So. My rowing story completely different, completely different. So we have this race in South Africa. It's called the Grand Challenge, and it has this. It's the most prestigious uh, race on the South African rowing calendar. It's a Cox's Forge race uh, down the Buffalo River uh, in a terrible city called East London, uh, down in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. So it's a huge race. The trophy is a solid silver trophy. That's probably. It's enormous. Uh, it's probably like what? Uh, a one, one, one and a half meters, 1.2 meters high. Massive. There's a story about that. Uh, the, the original trophy burned down, that the clubhouse burned down and melted the trophies and they were insured. But at that time, the, the silver, price. silver price was like so cheap. So they managed to replace the trophy with a trophy that was like 10 times uh, bigger. And I think the, the Grand Challenge is also the like second oldest uh a sporting event in South Africa or it's definitely in the in the top few so anyway we had this this dream because I told you earlier I have three brothers and we all uh, were rowing at some points but it's been really tricky because my older brother um, is nine years older than my youngest brother so we always we always wanted to to row together in a four and race the the grand challenge and it was always a dream because we never really thought how how could we make it work? Because it was there was just the logistics were a nightmare. And my youngest brother was always at school and doing his own racing at the regatta. And then my older brother retired before my youngest brother finished school. So it never really uh made it to the front. And then in uh, 20 was it 2017, Jake? Yeah, 2017. In 2017, uh, we had a chance to to race this uh this brother's challenge, the brothers four. So finally, we got uh, all three of my brothers, and my oldest brother was uh, living in Singapore at that point, or London, I can't remember, but he got into the, in, onto the Ergo, and he trained uh, a whole ton by himself, and he hadn't been in, the, in, a, in a rowing boat basically since uh, the 2012 Olympic Games, and my youngest brother, we were all training in the team, and it was, it was really, really awesome. So finally, we get to get in the boat, and... Uh, it was December. We all get like our own training in December, usually on the Ergo. And we were all together. So we organized to, to row in the four together. And as you would imagine, four brothers in a boat, it was carnage. Our first week of rowing together was madness. We had my brothers basically climbing over 
each other to to fight with the uh, with the other boats. If you thought uh, siblings were bad uh, on not wanting to sit in the middle seat of the car or the back seat of the the car, this was on another level. Even my dad had to step in and calm things down, and we thought this is never ever going to to work. And I mean, we 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 do get on extremely well, but obviously when uh, we're super competitive and we all think we know the most about rowing, so. It was uh, it was a very heated uh, moment, but actually our training went really well. And then we managed. Uh, my brother went back to to England and and carried on training on the Ergo. And then we got a chance to we got a little bit of training bef- before the the regatta when he came down for it. And we were just so excited to race, and we we really didn't expect to to win. So we were up against uh, you know Olympians from 2016, <laughs> and and we had all these big dogs uh, racing, and we came down the track, and we executed such a good row and uh, managed to to get all four britons onto the trophy which was just phenomenal and definitely one of my favorite races of all time and like a huge uh tick in the in my bucket list and i managed to to beat jake on that day so it was yeah. sweeter for every moment yeah but the better crew did win on the day <laughs> don't be so humble jake <laughs> That is an awesome story. So I, I need to see photographs. We're going to have to talk offline, and and there must be there must be a video. Uh yeah, I think we have some video and and some pictures uh, of the day. So yeah, yeah. Guys, this has been a fantastic, slightly over the hour with you. Thank you so much, the Row Show, Jake Milton Green, Lawrence Britton. You guys really rock being the interviewees. Thanks. It was awesome to be on the show and it was great to be on the other side of the of the microphone. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great to be be on the show. And as we always say, is rowers love to talk about rowing. That's mm-hmm. why it always goes over the, the 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 set time. It certainly does. So this has been Rowing Chat with me, Rebecca Caro. Please subscribe. You know where to find us, rowing.chat or any of your favorite podcast uh, apps. Till next time, goodbye.